The following is an interview given by His Holiness Jayapataka Swami Maharaj on September 24th, 1984 at New Panihali Dam in Atlanta, Georgia, USA. The interview was about Srila Prabhupada Nectar. And then, you know, everyone laughed like that. He said, no, he said, I have seen. 
And then uh, he went on to explain that when he was in uh, those, uh, those stories are supposed to be see the humorous ones, so they can leave them at serious ones. temple in Calcutta is on three Albert Road at between Victoria Square and Prabhupada said that that is the part of Calcutta that when he was a boy was known as the side quarter or the area where the British used to stay. In fact, the owner of that house used to be a knight. He was knighted by the King of England. And down the road is Lord Sir Lord Sinha, or Lord Sinha Road, with some Lord Sinha. Like that, there was. That's where all the totally the Indian gentlemen who become English nobles, as or English uh, knights or whatever, and where all the English people would stay. So he used to say tell us how he would drive through there on his bicycle. He'd go through and look at the houses when he was a boy. Before that, Srila uh, Prabhupada was saying that uh, normally that area, it was like an exclusive area where only the ready elite people would stay. So he used to go through on his bicycle. He said, now we have our temple here. Nice. He'd sometimes make a joke. Staying in the side quarter. <laughs> Call the English people were called side. Then uh, Shri Prabhupada also told us that when he was a boy, that uh, they would sometime when they come to the Maidan in the center of Calcutta, like in New York, there's Central Park. In the center of Calcutta, there's a big Maidan or a big like a park. It's all grass. And that park is under the control of Fort William, which is the army base. But it's a very beautiful, very big park. It must be about several miles long by two miles or three miles wide. It's quite large, at least 20-30 city blocks long. It goes right from the side of the Ganges to the, what's now known as, uh, what's known as the Charangi Road, now it's known as something else. So, along that stretch, Prabhupada said sometime his father would have, would uh, have him walk to save the tram fare, which used to be five paisa. Then they'd walk. He remember walking along the Maidan as a child with his father. 
And he uh, also told us that at that time there was uh, King George. Actually, it came because we were following Chatra Mas one year, Bhavananda Maharaj, myself, Achyutananda Swami and Gagamuni Swami. The four of us were following Chapter Mass, so we didn't, we were just eating once a day. We were doing the austerity, chanting 64 rounds. So we also let her hair and beard grow. So then he saw Bhavananda and he said, you look just like King George. <laughs> and then, you know, everyone laughed like that. He said, no, he said, I have seen. And then uh, he went on to explain that when he was in uh, in uh, school, at that time uh, King George came, I don't forget what number, King George V or something, the fifth? He came to uh, India, went by uh, ship and came all the way to India. And at that time, their capital was in Calcutta, I still believe. We're still in Calcutta, I believe. So when they came there, they had all the school children line up alongside the road. And so, and then they did, he remembers that, uh, he saw, you know, King George go by in his, uh, limousine, open, open air, and everyone was cheering and everything, and as a schoolboy. So then he says, I've seen him, just like Baba Nandamaj. And then he said that at that uh, occasion they also gave a box lunch to all the children at school. Samosa, some sweets. Everyone got a little box to commemorate the arrival of King George V to Calcutta. And if you see the old pictures of Calcutta, in Calcutta one time Prabhupada went to see the Victoria Memorial. We went with him. And there they have the pictures of Calcutta as it was in the 1800s. And the same buildings are still there. <laughs> A lot of them. <laughs> Not all of them. But, uh, you know, at that time they were very stately. I mean, even now they're, they're a little bit run down, but uh, at that time they were very uh, stately buildings and it was very well maintained. And they had all the horses and buggies and everything. Quite thriving place. No, in Calcutta, the the they constructed a memorial for Queen Victoria, calling the Victoria Memorial, and that's in the middle of that Maidan in Calcutta. Hundred and seventy feet high, solid marble, something like the Taj Mahal, only not quite so big or exclusive. See, regarding Calcutta, those are the main things I can remember that Prabhupada said. One thing that he said one day, he was giving class in Calcutta and he told the devotees in Calcutta, he said that, that I don't know how you're doing it, that how you're able to remain here in Calcutta. This is all with Krishna's mercy. Because uh, even I find it difficult, even I can't remain here. I have to travel, something like that. 
He made a little joke out of it. But then he said, because you're, this is my birthplace city, and you're here, uh, you're getting 10,000 times the credit for doing devotional service here than uh, anywhere else. And, you know, if you're back in your own country. And then, uh, actually then it was, he said that even I can't remain here, but you're taking this austerity. Because Calcutta is very crowded now, it's quite a change for someone from the West. And uh, actually he was very moved. He was very thankful that the devotees were taking that austerity of remaining in uh, Calcutta, Bengal, and helping him to... Uh, revitalize the uh, Sankirtan movement in its uh, original place. Then uh, in Calcutta, the first thing that happened, Prabhupada sent Chitananda uh, Swami was in Calcutta and Shri Prabhupada, I, I had started the Toronto Center and then Jagadish Das Adhikari had come up and we mutually decided that he could be the president. And I wrote Prabhupada if he had another service because I'd already started that temple, it was going nicely, there was the president, so I could go and open a new temple or I could do anything he wanted or I could stay there, whatever he wanted. So he wrote back and said, I want you to go to India, to Calcutta. Please come and see me. So then I flew to Los Angeles to get instruction from uh, Srila Prabhupada. At that time, Srila Prabhupada, he called me in his room and then he read to me some of the letters from Achyutananda Das Brahmachari. And he said that he said that he has the place so you can go. And then by the time I reached there, that's what he said in his letter. But come and explain. In the meantime, another letter came from Achyutananda Swami, uh, Das Brahmachari, at that time, that uh, he was still staying in the Gaudiya Mat in Satish Mukherjee Avenue in Bhawanipur, Calcutta, the southern part of Calcutta. And then Prabhupada said that, I don't want you to go until we have our own place. It was very cryptic. I mean, he wouldn't... He said, I'll explain everything to you, but uh, just before you go. He didn't want, until I was just ready to go, he didn't want to explain everything. And I had two, three meetings with Prabhupada in his quarters in Los Angeles. And then, uh, I remember in the second meeting, he read this letter. Something about something that his godbrothers had said or something. And I remember his servant was Devananda Das. Maybe it was a Swami, I'm not sure at that time. I don't think so. So Devananda, he said that, uh, I think that your godbrothers are envious. And then uh, it struck me funny, you know, being a very simple, you know, just being here in the West, it seemed very unusual to me that how could a godbrother be envious or something like that. And then, sure enough, Prabhupada blasted him and said that they're my godbrothers. You have no right to question them or criticize them, they're my godbrothers. And that, you have no right. And then I thought, yes, it's confirmed. 
he was off by saying that. Because it sounded unusual to me. And then, Prabhupada said, I'm not going to send you to India now because so they don't have their own place. Until they have their own place. So at that time, Bhagavan Maharaj was, uh, Bhagavan Das Adhikari was going from Detroit to open up a center in Chicago. So then, Prabhupada said I could go to Chicago and help him open that center. And then he would call me when it was time to go to India. So then we had that historical ride with Rupanuga Prabhu where the car didn't stay on the road near Albuquerque, New Mexico. But anyway, somehow I reached Chicago and then Prabhupada sent me a telegram, please call. So I phoned Srila Prabhupada up and I got the message that you go immediately to India, to Calcutta. They have their own place. You don't have to come back and get any information from Prabhupada. It's all right. Gargamuni gave me the message. So then I never got the briefing that Prabhupada said he was going to give me. What to watch out for, what to... So, because Gargamuni, I don't think he, he didn't want to spend the money or something <laughs> to send me back to Los Angeles. Frugal Temple President serving as finance. Anyway, Srila Prabhupada had a fund and he sent me from his own fund money to go to India. I raised a little more. So finally I got to Calcutta and unfortunately we didn't have a separate residence as Srila Prabhupada had wanted. We were still staying in this Gaudiya Mutt in the temple of Prabhupada's Godbrother. Madhav Maharaj, Bhakti Dai to Madhav Maharaj. And they treated me very nicely. I stayed there for two months. But Prabhupada kept writing us letters, furious, that I immediately have to get another place. To Delhi, Harinam, and immediately get another place and move out of there and have your own place. As soon as you have your own place, I'm coming. And then Prabhupada flew to Japan, and he kept writing from there, saying, "When is so?" Finally, we found a place in uh, Lake 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 Road, Lake View Road, something like that, near Rashbihari Avenue in South Calcutta. And it was a very nice house built by a doctor. It was a three-four story house, and he had never. It was it's brand new. So he said, if the sadhus live in my house, you can stay there three, six months. If, you know, saintly Krishna conscious devotees stay there, then my house will be blessed. So you can stay there. So he gave us free of rent. Actually, for the first year and a half in Calcutta, I didn't pay any rent. People always gave us houses free, which is probably historic. <laughs> Neither did we pay for any food to speak of. Most of it was donated. So when we had a new place, we tell ex-Prabhupada and he said that uh, he would be coming. And so prepare for his arrival, make it, uh, so I visited all the newspapers, They're just Achyutananda Das and myself. Achyutananda Das went to all of the godbrothers of Prabhupada to invite them to come and meet him at the airport. So he told me that he couldn't get anyone, no one would agree to come. So that's very unusual. Then I also invited one or two and I invited one. Maharaj on the stairs of one temple. He said, yes, I'll go and greet my godbrother. Why not? And then some 
My peer, you know, Grihastha, disciple of uh, one of Prabhupada's godbrothers, came up to him and said, You can't go. He's your junior sannyasi. He took sannyas after you did. By, you know, five years. You can't go and greet him. So then, you know, he was all, like, intimidated by Sarisavala, you know. So he couldn't actually get any of Prabhupada's godbrothers to go to the airport. It was unusual for us. I couldn't understand it. I'd always noticed the difference that when Prabhupada spoke, it seemed to be just earth-shattering and just immediately penetrate the heart. And when I'd hear his godbrother speak, it was very interesting and I could feel like a little tingle, like a little something, but it was just never the same. Never had that same overwhelming uh, presence of uh, the spiritual world as I would experience. That was my own subjective experience. But this was completely bewildering to me. So then we all went to the airport. To meet Prabhupada, we had truckloads of Harinam Kirtan groups. We had newspapermen. The colonel who was in charge of that, Fort William, he was in charge of the reception. So he arranged that Prabhupada didn't have to go through immigration or customs. They picked him up right from the airplane by a car, drove him to the VIP lounge where he gave a press conference, because, you know, returning celebrity, returning ambassador of Indian culture, they gave him the royal reception. All the big dignitaries came and people greeted him and then we did a, a kirtan and a reception. But Prabhupada looked around and saw that there were some of his disciples, you know, godbrother's disciples, but no godbrother was present. And one of the godbrothers had... Uh, If you don't know the name later, I'll tell you, but I'll just leave it out now for the sake. One of the godbrothers had invited that we'll give a reception for Prabhupada in our temple. And uh, we, we'll have a feast ready. He should drive right up to our temple and we'll give him a reception here. It sounded like a very nice thing. But they, the godbrothers themselves didn't come to meet Prabhupada at the airport. They sent a disciple. So then we told the, the Prabhupada, Prabhupada looked very stern. We had a big American car for him to ride in. And then behind we had all these trucks of kirtan devotees. So we were going to have like a procession into the town. But Prabhupada jumped into the car and Srila Bhaktipad was with Prabhupada, if I'm correct. I think Bhaktipad was with him. Yeah. And... Uh, Somehow Bhaktipada just took the steering wheel and Prabhupada said, Let's, you know, go. And, and I was arranging with the press and everything and next thing I know, Bhaktipada was behind the steering wheel and they're ready to take off. They didn't even know, you know, so I had to just, you know, Prabhupada, I had to just run and jump, get into the car at the last minute. And so then I told this uh, to Srila Prabhupada, he said, we will not go there. Take us directly to our house. It's very, you know, couldn't understand, you know, the intricacies. And Prabhupada was just very silent, very stern. And I said, well, we have this kirtan part. But he was just like very, very grave at that time. I never saw Prabhupada so intense, uh, you know, up to that point, as I had seen then. It was a new uh, experience. So then uh, we drove him right uh, straight to the lake, uh, lake road, 
house. He liked the house. It was all brand new. We had a little room set up for him with his attached bath and everything. And then Prabhupada uh, explained. He said that they wanted me to go directly to their temple. So then they would take the credit that they had sent me to preach all over the world. If they were sincere, they would have come and met me at the airport and requested me also to visit their temple. But they sat in their temple and then come to get me. This is very intricate. What this means, it would appear that I was going and reporting back to them. And then they would publish that they had sent me and now I was going back to them. Therefore, I will not go there. You go there and accept their prasad and bring here, we will take them. <laughs> so this is my first introduction to intricacies of Indian sadhu etiquette and uh, different, uh, you know, higher level kind of spiritual intrigues. <laughs> Being very simple. I once wrote to the Prabhupada that what should we do when we meet a sannyasi? When I'm in India, I mean, there'll be so many sannyasis. What should I do? You know, I was very, I want to do the proper thing, the proper etiquette. And it's very simple. And he wrote back, oh, you should bow down. And then I, you know, another, even if he's a Mayavadi, yes, no harm. <laughs> Just don't listen to them. <laughs> so, but this was pretty high level intrigue. But anyway, Prabhupada guided us through. And then, that night, you see, of course, being just two brahmacharis together in India, Chutananda, Das, and myself, you know, sometimes in India, taking sannyas and preaching, these things are very prominent. You know, it doesn't, in the West, there's other things which are more prominent. But uh, there, because of the environment, uh, it's a very good field for preaching and people are more receptive from uh, the renounced order of life. So we were thinking, you know, that sometime possibly Srila Prabhupada would ask us to take sannyas, whether he would or not, what would be his order. Because he had told me once, when my temple president, this was another thing, and uh, anyway, I won't distract you, but I can say that. Once my temple president, that time my temple president was uh, Hansa Dudadas and uh, his wife was Himavati. And I was a bhakti in the temple. And Himavati was trying to get all the, not only brahmacharis, but even the bhaktas married. So at that time I was quite uh, determined to be Krishna conscious and I wasn't 100% sure that uh, being married was actually what uh, I should be doing. I wasn't close to the idea, but at the same time, I wasn't, uh, it was being more or less pushed on me. So I was kind of in, upset. I came in tears to Prabhupada, what should I do? They're trying to pressure me, this wife of the president. And he said, no, you tell that it's my order that you cannot be married. That uh, the system in India is you wait till you're 25, and the guru decides. And he, at the age of 25, he decides which direction that Brahmachari should go. So you wait till you're 25 and then I'll decide. Up until then, you, you know, hands off. 
So then I was relieved because I didn't. So then we were thinking, well, maybe for Prabhupada asked us, because we knew he said you can get first and second initiation, you have to ask for that, but to get sannyas, you had to be asked. So he called the Chutananda Das into his quarters, and it was that time, it was, we were all asleep, it was 10 o'clock, but I was, you know, listening, and I heard Prabhupada shouting at him. At first I thought maybe he was calling him in to get sannyas. I didn't know really what it didn't sound like he's getting some yeah. <laughs> and uh sound like Prabhupada was very angry. Didn't know what was actually happening. And uh could hear bits and pieces. Something about a letter, something about Brahmananda, something about God Brothers. Couldn't really Pick it all together at that time. I knew for one thing, it didn't seem like it was getting sannyasa. <laughs> so then the next morning, Prabhupada, uh, I think it was the next morning, even that night, he called us in. And that time he explained to us that while Chutananda was in the then in the meantime, I heard from other God brothers that there was something happened in New Vrindavan that some of our sannyasis had gone a little bit crazy. They had been affected by Mayavadi philosophy and so on. And that Prabhupada was very upset. And uh, so then Prabhupada explained that, uh, well, he said Achyutananda is, uh, I don't know if Achyutananda was in the room at the time or not. He might have been, but I don't remember. But he explained that uh, he was, he picked up some criticism or something and he wrote that in a letter to, uh, to one of the uh, sannyasis in America, to one of the devotees in America. And as a result of that the poison, they became affected and they actually developed the Mayavadi philosophy. And so Prabhupada was actually testing Achyutananda to see if he was really into it. or, And he said that he's innocent. But he was like a carrier. Like a person carries a disease by inadvertently repeating something which was uh, envious. That he actually was a carrier and brought, and through him, this poison had come and affected those four people. Of course, Prabhupada corrected everything. So that's pretty much the first two days. You <laughs> know, it was pretty intense. But after that, then, it was very nice. Uh, we had programs in South Calcutta near Gorya Hut, and in uh, Gorya, Jam, uh, Jadupur, and all over Calcutta, Prophet went and did these programs. One program we had, we had this big car, it was a Dodge, 56 Dodge. was uh, given by a life member that we could drive. I remember Kirtananda Swami used to drive the Dodge in uh, Calcutta. It's a very big car. I mean, in Calcutta it's very crowded, so you drive a big car like that, it's quite... It's a very good suspension, though, and kind of floating. When you go over the bumps, it's in here floating. It was, uh, forget the name of the group, but it was a very distinguished group. 
who met every two weeks, like Rotary Alliance, but it was uh, not that type of a that type of a syndicated group. It was a specific one society just for really high class, uh, exclusive uh, citizens of Calcutta, mostly businessmen, and that was held just. It's right near the corner of uh, what's known as Esplanade, which is a, just the kind of a real hustle and bustle central part of Calcutta, and up on the second floor. So there, there was a big fee, there was a big uh, program, and Prabhupada spoke, and he that time he inaugurated life membership in India. He said, "We're going to have a program. You can visit our. We have temples all over the world. You can come and stay there." And uh, he inaugurated that uh, you pay 1111 rupees, 1111111. Krishna, God is one. You give one, 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 one. <laughs> so everyone liked that, and about three, four people right on the spot, they became life members. And there was a lot of money in those days, 1111 rupees. And uh, I remember that there was actually a a struggle who would be first, because whoever would be first would be the number one life member. <laughs> In fact, even to this day, one of the life members who is number two, he tried to get it changed that he could be number one. <laughs> but when number one heard about it, then he became very upset. <laughs> So then uh, Prabhupada was, you know, very happy to accept their donations and he issued the first uh, certificates of life membership. And uh, then there was a big feast. And this was the first time, normally, you know, we'd only eat uh, temple prasad, but he this time he said no because they become life members and for preaching. It's all vegetarian, of course. But then uh, he said we can eat their uh, vegetarian uh, feast. And uh, I remember Prabhupada was sitting at the head and the devotees were on one side and these people with New Life members and other uh, dignitaries were on the other side. And uh, it was a very uh, wonderful uh, gathering. So that that was basically the highlights I remember of how the Calcutta preaching started. Then Prabhupada went to Bombay Later on he came back and in May 71, he arrived there in August 70, in May 71, that time when Calcutta was the time of what they call the United Front. It was the coalition government of left, leftist parties. But that time the leftist parties, they weren't very uh, cohesive and there was a lot of violence. The Naxal, there was that time the Naxal movement of Marxist-Leninist radical revolutionaries who were on the rampage. And so the scenario in Calcutta was that every day there were 14, 12 murders. they pick out big businessmen, big politicians, all over eastern India, but especially in the in Bengal, especially Calcutta area, but even, I think even in Jamshedpur, and spread it, you know, it was very rampant. And... Uh, where I, where we were living was in uh, North Calcutta in a very sensitive area. It was, 
Jatindra Mohan Avenue, near Bidan Street, which is just in the heart of uh, a very crowded area of Calcutta, and in all little alleys and lanes, and in there, there were very political activists. So, on the street at that time, there were sandbags put up by the police, and they would be sitting there with their guns, and they would actually just would be holding... When you went by at night, you have to raise your arms and walk by with your hands in the air. And there was, uh, right below our window, we often saw that from one side of the road, one group of uh, political gang almost, you know, but political supporters would come and they'd be carrying little athletic bags filled with bombs. And then from the other side, they'd come and they'd like a snowball fight. They'd throw the bombs. And that bomb would hit and you'd see that once people spin off and roll on the ground, the bomb would explode. And then they'd get up and they'd throw one and see them run, you know, with more bombs the guy would carry with glasses and like a mad scientist kind of guy. <laughs> and sometimes they'd get hit and sometimes then the police would come, usually long after everything was over. But sometimes they come. <laughs> one time they came and they were chasing a boy into the alley and we heard gunshots and we saw him drag out this body. Completely real. So it was like a very dangerous time in Calcutta. At that time, we were trying to preach there. And uh, at that time, Prabhupada called us to the Kumbh Mela in uh, Allahabad. And uh, that's a whole other story, the Kumbh Mela story. That we could discuss that later. But uh, when we went to the Kumbh Mela, then Prabhupada told me that I'm never going to Calcutta until you get another, that time we were, we were on our own place. I want our own place that we have our temple. That time we were staying in a, in a, in a half a floor of a apartment building that one gentleman had given us, but he wanted, you know, our own house, a whole floor to ourselves that we could perpetually stay in, at least for some time. So then, uh, it was like a, I had to leave the Kumamela a few days early. Went back to Calcutta and we found, in the present place where we still are, on Albert Road we found that place and one gentleman was going to make it into a hotel office six months later. But for right now he didn't have any need for it. So if you can have it free of rent for six months. So that was, we, we said, tele, telegram Prabhupada and he came by train. So then we arranged to have, in May, a big panda in downtown Calcutta. So Prabhupada got a letter in the mail, which was, you know, cut out from magazines, the letters, you know, like, the, you, may, you know how they cut out, you see in the movies? We got one of those, several. You leave town now or die. Maxwell Salam. Several like that, you know. So then Prabhupada called the police and gave it over. He said, we're not, you know, go on with our program. We won't, they, they threatened, if you don't stop your pandal program, you'll be killed. Prabhupada said, just go on with it. So we formed the police at Extra Guard. While we were doing our pandal program in Calcutta, it was the biggest pandal in India, probably even to date. It was a huge pandal. It was about bigger than a football field about twice the size of a football field, 300 feet long, like 300, about 400 feet long by 300 feet wide. It was huge and it was completely packed with people. It was right opposite the Indian Museum. 
we had all kind of uh, very big dignitaries came and spoke. The deputy chief minister, one Mr. Nahar, he spoke. I think just at that time the government changed. But, uh, you know, it's still a very agitated time. It was a very uh, disturbed time. But Prabhupada, he just said, go on with the preaching. We distributed prasad every night, halva, sabji, and puri to thousands and thousands of people. And uh, Prabhupada would come every night, he'd arti, and he'd lecture. And uh, he was very bold in his preaching. So, at that time he sent Tamal Krishna Goswami and Bali Mardan Das to Mayapur to buy the Mayapur land that we had found. Chitana Das and myself had found. But I was busy with this program, so I stayed in Calcutta. So at that time, there were several things that happened. All day, Prabhupada was sitting in his room and big uh, dignitaries would come. He'd always preach to them how they should help the Krishna conscious movement because they were the religious Indians. They were very, you know, that if the Indian community gave support, then all over the world this would give a strength to the Krishna conscious preaching. I remember that uh, one day, this uh, minister, he was the home minister of the government at, at that time, Tarun Kanti Ghosh. He came to see Srila Prabhupada and in India it's customary that people try to touch the feet of sadhus. But Prabhupada would sometimes get sick because so many people would touch him and they'd get their karma. He said that if you touch the feet, then they give you the karma, but it's not good for the sadhus because then they have to take that karma. So actually only the disciples should touch the feet. So normally Brahmananda, someone would, uh, Swami, they would stop people from touching Prabhupada's feet. And sometimes they'd be too enthusiastic and Prabhupada would say, up to a point you can stop someone, you can't. You can re- entreat them, you can request, please don't touch. But, I mean, if somebody's really, you know, diving, you know, then, you know, you can't have like a whole battle or something. <laughs> so, uh, in this case, the minister, came and he said that, uh, I'm going to touch your feet, Swami. You know, Prabhupada tried to get out of it. No, no. And he just, you know, he just grabbed. You know, and then, you know, I forget who was there, Brahmananda Swami or someone, whoever was there, they're already right then, you know. In the Proverbs, uh, I mean, you didn't want to minister of the government to get, uh, to get, you know, assaulted or something. So then he went and he just put his head right on Prabhupada's feet. And then Prabhupada touched him on the head. Prabhupada said there was some system where you can actually pass back the camera. <laughs> I don't want to know that technique. <laughs> but then uh, we were sitting there and uh, that morning in class Prabhupada had been saying that how all the devotees, that some of the devotees were being sent by Lord Chaitanya, that they were devotees previously. She son would say like that. So this minister, he just came in and he just said, you know, I've seen your devotees chanting and seen them. And uh, my impression is that they were they were born in Bengal before, 
But they were devotees before. This is not their first birth. How is it they so quickly they could take all these things up? And then Prabhupada, he turned to us and said, Just see, confirm. Is it just what I have been saying to you? He has also said, This is a confirmation. So then, uh, I remember that time then, he had the darshan with a gentleman and then even again Prabhupada just said, just see, this is confirmed what I had said. And then I was, uh, I remember I was standing up and then I told Prabhupada that, but Prabhupada, how can this be? I'm so fallen. How could it be that I was a devotee before? And then, you know, the Prabhupada, he took, he took, became angry. He said, do not doubt my words. Do not doubt. That is all superficial. Because he became, you know, because he became very angry, he immediately paid our obeisances. So, the many every day that you see batches of people, always sometimes his relatives came rarely. He'd introduce us, especially Pishima, his uh, younger sister and god sister. She'd come. I remember one time she insisted that uh, she wanted to cook for Srila Prabhupada. She made the whole thing. Prabhupada was like, she has to let her do it. <laughs> she was a very, very good cook. But she always, you know, made such a big, you know, production out of it. Sometimes she'd prepare preparations with mustard oil. And then we, you know, Prabhupada always told her, mustard oil is for your body, it's not for eating. The Prabhupada said, mustard oil. She said, no, but mustard oil is very good tasting if you know how to cook with it. So from her cooking, he, he would take one or two preparations with mustard oil, although normally it was always with ghee. I said, but not too much, but one preparation is all right. And I remember one time, Prabhupada got a little dysentery because the water in Calcutta is such that it's, you can get dysentery there sometimes. The sewage is built from the British time. The sewage and water pipes are very close or something. I don't know, but somehow you, you can get sick there quite easily. So even Prabhupada, maybe from the feasting with the life members, or somehow he, he had the leela of having dysentery. So he said that today I want to have hot puris and salt. Hot puri. Because dysentery normally have diarrhea and you never take ghee or... He said, no, this is one cure. To take hot puri. Because to be piping hot with salt. So, order of the guru. So they cooked hot puri. I think Pishima herself cooked them the first time. Brought in piping, just steaming puri. Real small, thin, hot puri. She put salt on them and he ate a lot of them. <laughs> Everybody thought, because normally if you take pakoras or pori something, when you have a weak stomach, then forget it. Your liver doesn't, but just by this, like a, by a mystic power, the Prabhupada was completely cured by hot puris and salt. So that was a new one for all the devotees. They never. <laughs> yes, I think. In my upper once, uh, I saw somebody try Babarana Then, 
Is this some prashant to give? Then there was another thing that happened there. Oh, one time, you know, we made a lot of learning to do. In India, we had hired the... Prabhupada said, well, because nobody knew how to cook, Indian style. So he said we could hire a Brahmin. If he didn't smoke and if he, you know, we could hire a Brahmin. <laughs> So then uh, we hired a cook and uh, I forget, at that time Soda Nandan Maharaj or Gajamuni Maharaj, someone else was there. The assistant to the cook was a better chapati roller. He was really great chapati roller. Thin, nice, did puff up. Fantastic chapati roller. Just let him do the cooking. He's a better, actually, he's a better cook than the Brahmin cook. So then, he was doing the cooking for a few days, for some time. I didn't like it, but I was overwhelmed by... Because at that time, my temple, I had Vibhati Nandan, I had Gurudas, Shamsundar, Giridaj, Gargamuni, I had Sonandan, Guru Kripa, Jamuna, Malati. These were, you know, very <coughs> strong-willed devotees. And so they, somehow or another, they decided that they wanted to have this person cook. And we were on a little austerity program. I was only letting them use the half a kilo a ghee a day, which wasn't making me very popular. At that time, Prabhupada had, was pretty tight budget. So, Prabhupada came and someone complained to him about the cooking, you know, that they weren't getting enough ghee. So he came out and he saw, what are those? Those are the parties. Why there's no ghee on them? He said, that's food fit for the ghost. <laughs> really, and he said it real heavy, you know, food fit for ghost, because the party without ghee, it's fit for the ghost. Then he said, bring the cook. So when they brought the cook, you know, who is this character? <laughs> and they said that uh, he's, you know, he's not a Brahmin. Then he said, you're eating uh, not only food fit for the ghost, but it's being cooked by a fifth-class man. He blasted us. I forget some of the other, some of the heaviest things I've ever heard. And uh, because at least the Brahmana has some Normally they would have, even in India, I mean, they had some understanding about hygiene or things like that, but a non-Brahmana, a non-Vaishnava, you know, they don't know what they're going to do, you know, they don't, they don't have that training, that upbringing to act in a very clean and hygienic way. 
like this Prabhupada was teaching us so many things, uh, even there in Calcutta. Remember one time we have in Calcutta was a big veranda with a marble floor. And I was the president there, but every time my GBC would come, the GBCs are real new then, that was 1971, so probably disappointed GBCs, they didn't really know exactly what their role was. So he'd come and he'd, I wouldn't be doing things the way he'd do them. So then he'd want to do everything right way. But instead of telling me how to do them, he'd be so impatient that he would fire me and he'd take over as president. And then he'd do everything his way. Then Prabhupada would come and say, what are you doing? You're supposed to be the GBC. You're not supposed to manage the temple. Remove him and put me back as the president. Like this, I was removed about eight times. <laughs> and every time I was replaced, either by Prabhupada or by the GBC. I remember that the GBC said, I have to have my own room. I have to have my own room to meet people and for preaching and, you know, just, you know, some... So we didn't have any rooms in the Calcutta Temple. It's such a weird design. It's like a very old palatial kind of building, which is anyway divided in half, and just big rooms and high, 16, 16 about 18 foot high ceilings. So there really wasn't any room that we could offer. There was one room for Prabhupada. There was a temple. There was the veranda. There was the little office. There was the. There's only rooms in the whole place. There wasn't any other room. Even the president didn't have a room. Kind of floating. So. But he insisted on having a room, so he built a little, he got some plywood, and built a little shanty on the a little room. Very nice, you know, kind of simple. Little masonite, eight-inch plywood, built it up on the veranda with a little door, painted it blue, real bright blue, like the color of Balabhadra's uh, t-shirt uh, lapel there. And a turquoise bright blue. And that was his little room. Well, that room lasted until Prabhupada came. <laughs> what is this? This is ruining my veranda. This is ruining my veranda. And why you build? I forget the exact words that you. Why are you building this? You know, shanty. You know, this. You know, on my veranda. You tear it down immediately. The GBC was crushed. <laughs> we all, you know. We all told them that, you know, this is kind of strange, it cuts into the veranda, this, that, you know, so while Prabhupada was telling that, you know, we had, we had to like, look serious, <laughs> look serious, because otherwise, you know, we didn't want to get, but it was real hard, everybody was <laughs> covering up. So, uh, that was the last of the blue room. <laughs> There are many little things. Prabhupada one time he said that nobody was spending too much on taxis, everyone should take a tram. And trams were cost ten paisa in India about at that time ten paisa went less than a cent. So was that you could ride anywhere in the city for ten paisa. But it took forever. It was real slow as compared to a taxi and you had to, you know, public bus system. But this wasn't even a bus. Buses were fast, but this was tram. You could go by bus, but buses are very crowded. Tram was a little better. So most of the devotees went by tram. 
12 paisa, 10 paisa. You go first class with 12 paisa, normal was 10. But if you went 10 paisa, all the seats had these bed bugs. You sit on it and you'd stand up, your whole rear end would be striped with, where just where you sat in the crack of the seat, the wooden street seats, they'd all come out of the cracks and bite. <laughs> and in first class, they had a little bit of rectine plastic with some, uh, with some fiber, you know, and a little bit of padding is for two paisa more, but the bed bugs didn't get through it. So, uh, sometimes the devotees said, you know, spend a little extra <laughs> 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 and go by the tram. First class. So, because Prabhupada said, we took it literally and we did, but then later on it turned out that it cut into the collections and so, in the meantime, I was transferred to uh, to Mayapur, and uh, the other, the new president, got permission from Prabhupada that if, if the devotees collected more, you know, by by going by, if they were able to do more Sankirtan by going by taxi, that was all right. But it shouldn't, you know, shouldn't just be they going by taxi for the sake of going by taxi, but it should be that due to getting increased productivity. So. And one time, actually the time when Prabhupada was going from Calcutta to the Kumamela, then uh, he said, in the train, sometimes Prabhupada would take, uh, he would always take a box lunch, but sometimes he'd get hungry and the lunch would run out. So sometimes he would uh, send uh, me out and he would take uh, Puri hooked on the station, hot for and something. And he said that if you buy it, then there's no karma. And if it's cooked in ghee, or you know, cooked deep fried, then the, men, the transference of, men, of the bad mentality doesn't go too much. He said in traveling, he quoted some Sanskrit verse that in, in traveling it's all right, in emergency. Although later, when we were more together and we cooked a better, bigger lunch, then he wouldn't do that. Or he would never do it. He didn't do it in the airplanes much either. Or I don't think at all. But sometimes, uh, one time anyway, because we weren't very together at that time, only two devotees. And uh, apparently got a hungry sister. Well, anyway, you can get. I remember I went out on the station and I was trying to procure those things and buy some oranges. And somehow I didn't notice that the train was taking off. I looked, and there the train was, woo woo, you know, was going off. And I started running, because you know we missed the train, and you know there's nothing you can do. And uh, I missed Prabhupada's car, and by that time the train was going real fast, and I didn't know how to get it. So one conductor reached down and pulled me up, and it was in the air uh, AC first class uh, compartment, all air conditioned. Prabhupada wouldn't go in the air-conditioned class. He liked to, he went, used to go in the first class. In those days, first class was much better than it is today. But um, then somehow at the next stop, I got down and ran up and uh, met Srila Prabhupada and gave him the prasana. He just it was very nonchalant about it. And I remember they were sitting there. And uh, because it was, you know, we didn't have proper plates or any tray or anything, so... So then, you know, because of the situation, one hand he had a banana and the other hand said, this time, you know, I never see this, you know, eating with two hands, but here on the train, just, you know, did it sheer logistics. 
He was taking with uh, two hands. And that time, Prabhupada was, uh, somehow the discussion came about milk. I don't know if I should mention the name of who said this. Actually, so then, Tamal Krishna, that Adhikari at that time, he, uh, he was asking Prabhupada, in India there's so many kinds of milk. Here they have buffalo, cow, but then buffalo, goat, just like so many, I mean, you don't see, you know, in the West you have buffalo, you know, maybe some goat, but it's like so many. And somehow he said, uh, Dogs give milk? <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> and probably with, you know, Eeyore was probably just a face. <laughs> That's not milk! <laughs> That's not milk! <laughs> and he said that apart from cow, go- um, buffalo, and goat, nothing else is not milk. <laughs> It was very intimate. I mean, we, we were just, you know, being in the same compartment with Srila Prabhupada, you know, going to Alaba. Of course, no one would sleep above him, so we had purchased him two berths. But then, opposite, there'd be two people, and then in the room next. But when we were going, he'd bring everyone in. So we'd be sitting across, either down on the ground or on the seat across, and he'd be sitting up on one seat, cross-legged, we put a cloth there. So it was a very intimate opportunity. And I can remember a lot of very wonderful instructions he gave them. Because it's so intimate, therefore, you know, you could, I would normally never ask something like that. It's so intimate. And tomorrow, it was just right by his uh, lotus feet. So, you know, you tend to just, you know, not think what you're saying before you say it. <laughs> but normally, in another more formal situation, that would never happen. But, you know, just kind of like making. But then as soon as we say something that wasn't, you know, on, then of course immediately Prabhupada would assert his absolute transcendental position. The one thing happened in Calcutta that uh, one day we were sitting in his room. I think that they, in his room he'd always have it completely white. There'd be mattresses on the floor and he'd cover them with white sheets. And he had big bolstered pillows from the seat and a nice, not so opulent, but a nice desk with a glass cover. And he'd be sitting there and everything would be white, the room would be white, all covered with clean sheets which were changed every day. One speck on them would be changed. Always kept immaculately clean. And incense burning. And uh, there were two, three of us sitting, I think maybe that time, I forget exactly who was there. I was sitting right in front of Srila Prabhupada. And there were about three other devotees uh, at that time. And uh, he started just to tell this story. He said that uh, in Bengal there was uh, one uh, Gopal Bhar, who was uh, the court uh, barber. And he was a very... Uh, said there's a authority and uh, he said uh, how did it come 
that uh, there's a very high pressure in the king's court. The king was the judge, he was administrator, everything was on his shoulders. So sometimes between sessions, you know, they need a little relief, comical relief or humorous relief. Or, so nobody could play off the king. Everyone had to, you know, my lord. But the barber, or like a barber, or kind of like, I guess in the Western context, you might say with the court jester, probably never exactly explained what he was, but he was the one person, courtier, in the court who had the right that he could uh, spoof with the king. That was his unique position. But similarly, the king would always treat all his other ministers with great respect, would never treat them lightly. But the king could also, you know, spoof with this guy. So one day, the king came in, the, this uh, Gopal Bhar came in, Prabhupada explained, just I gave a background. And uh, Prabhupada started explaining this, uh, Gopal Bhar came in, the king said, Gopal, you are an ass. Sitting there listening. Then uh, Prabhupada explains that Gopal said, no, there's a difference between me and an ass. The king said, Gopal, you are an ass. No, your majesty, there's a difference between me and an ass. Oh, Gopal, there's a difference between you and an ass. Yes. Uh, what is that difference? Then he was standing about six foot from the king. He measured off the distance from the king and he said, six feet. <laughs> and Prabhupada was laughing. laughing. This is the first time we'd ever seen Prabhupada crack a joke. <laughs> We were a little, we didn't know whether to, because Robert was laughing, so we were laughing, but we were a little bit afraid, you know, we didn't want to do the wrong thing also. <laughs> Actually, he just suddenly told us, then he explained how the king has this way, and he said that, uh, he said, actually, even in the humor, even in the Vedic humor, there's, uh, there's messages. Then he, he just proceeded to tell more Gopal Bhar's story. This is famous, he said, there's a big book in uh, Bengal. The histories of this uh, king, Krishna Chandra, who is Krishna Nagar, near Mayapur, is named after Krishna Chandra. And his court, famous court uh, advisor is the Gopal Bhar. So, he told the story that uh, one day, Which one did Prabhupada tell first? Prabhupada told the story of, uh, he said that one day the king had a new son, heir to the throne. The whole kingdom was rejoicing. 
So at that time, when the king was father, heir, prince, very, very joyful occasion. So then Gopal just happened to show up at that time. They came and said, Gopal, Gopal, this joyous occasion of the birth of, you know, the, the crown prince, you know, what do you have to say? Tell me at this moment, tell me, how are you feeling? So then Gopal Bhar said, to be sincere, I'm feeling very happy after passing school. <laughs> oh, Gopal! You're so gross! How could you say and the king became thoroughly disgusted. <laughs> just, you know, here's a sake of the Brahmins are doing food, it's a big thing, and then just suddenly the grossest thing, you know. So the, after that, the, the, the Gopal said, don't be angry, you asked me to tell you how I was feeling, I'm just telling you the truth. The Gopal said, oh, <laughs> out of taste, you're crude, you have no cooth, you know, just. So after that, the king was, he had a very cold relationship with Gopal. <laughs> he became very, you know, the very dangerous is uh, courtier relationship, you know, very sensitive. You know. So the king was very turned, you know, very uh, displeased with, after that, it was a cold relationship, but just formally. And he wouldn't, he took it very personally. So then, uh, after some time, the uh, Prabhupada explained that one day the Gopal, after many months, was taking him on a boat ride. And I uh, was rowing the boat, and the king said to Gopal, I pull over. I have to make your call. And he said, no, no, this is not a good place. Some thieves and things congregate here. It's a bad place. He kept on rowing. He said, a little further, this and then I wait a while, and the king said, no, Gopal, you pull over right away. He said, no, no, I can't. Uh, it's a very rough area here. It's not a good place. Corn and things. And the king said, no, no, I want you to pull over here right away. He said, just a little further, there's a better place there, you know. Immediately pull over. Cannot wait any longer. The king was just really getting it. So then Gopal pulled over and the king jumped out and, you know, did his business, nature called. And then when he came back after Washington, the king came back and then Gopal said that, uh, how do you feel? He said, I feel relieved. And I said, remember that day? <laughs> your crown prince was born such a thing happened to me and just at that moment you asked me how I was feeling and so I just told you now do you understand <laughs> the king ready to go <laughs> so that when Prabhupada was laughing you know? but that was too much for us we didn't know what to say <laughs> we just said we we tried to laugh, but it was like, uh, <laughs> we didn't know, you know, because the relationship with Prabhupada was so formal that uh, you didn't know, you know, it was, uh, this was really an intimate joke, and the punchline was not the normal kind you get in the West. So, 
but uh, Prabhupada didn't stamp them. He said, no, actually there's many cultural things to learn from uh, this, uh, these stories. You know, what is the position of the king? What is the... And he told another story. He said uh, that one time, Gopal was making a new house. And according to the Vedic culture, when you make a new house, it's become completely uh, clean. No one should pass uh, school there. And uh, if they do, then they can't, because you have to do pujas and house, uh, grihe, probation, then you can uh, use the house. So I was trying to explain that, you know, this is a humor, this is just a normal humor, it doesn't get any worse than this. But actually, even in the humor, the the whole it's all based upon the subtle relationships in the culture of uh, of the Vedas. So here, he's building his house. He's going to have his puja as soon as it's completed. So the king offers in the court that Gopal is building a new house. If anybody can go there and defile his house, can go there and has nature called, you know, stool in his house, I'll give a thousand silver coins. So then one courtier said, I'll do it. <laughs> Took the challenge. So then, uh, the, uh, he made a plan, you know, what to do. So one day, Gopal was there supervising his house construction seeing everything's going on, get a house, though he'd be saving, you know, he wouldn't want any, he'd just be there, seeing that everything was done properly. They had Brahmins do the foundation, home setting, people building according to the Artashastra, everything. Even for an ordinary house, they're very careful. But suddenly this man came up and said, Gopal, Gopal! It's an extreme uh, emergency. I have to immediately... Uh, Answer a nature call. Please allow me to use your uh, new bathroom. Gopal thought, this is very strange. <laughs> Why do you want to use my new bathroom? Yes, yes, it's all right. Gopal explained. Then uh, so the person went and he positioned himself in the bathroom, you know, and he wanted to close the door. He said, Gopal, what are you doing standing there with that big stick? Why don't you let me close the door? He says, no, you can pass stool. But if you pass one drop of urine, I'm going to beat your head in and kill you. <laughs> so then he said, Gopal, you win. And he ran off, you know. <laughs> That was the final, that was really too much for <laughs> But indirectly, we were taught that how actually this was teaching Vedic culture. I mean, even in the humor that they had to do puja, default. I mean, this was where kings, you know, they were, had, this was their light side of their day. They would playing games, but even the games were based on this whole Vedic culture. Even it was, uh, you know, Intertwined, and you can't, just like they say, you know, Krishna, it's so much intertwined that even if somebody gets a little bit, they call this tamasa. Joking is for like tamagun. These aren't like the spiritual instructions or something, but even though these are so 
kind of uh, crude or whatever, but at the same time, it's like within it, the whole cultural uh, values are completely intertwined. And uh, those were the stories that Prabhupada told us. Of course, other places we told other other more, you know, there are other different stories. Was actually just a couple of devotees were there, just like a light moment. Prabhupada opened up and just told us a little bit of the, what the local humor was like. That uh, that way, Prabhupada was trying to show that, all right, even you know, in the in the in the humor, in the in the humor that has been handed down, he said this is taught in all the high schools. These stories, it's like a part of the history of Bengal. That even within the humor, there's this cultural connection. There's one more, there's one more story how, you want to hear one more Gopal Bar story? Hey. <laughs> Gopal Bar was really smart. One day the king was going on procession and uh, with his court, uh, courtiers and everyone. And then he saw that there was a Brahmana who was wearing a Shaligram Shila around his neck in a silk bag. And then the Brahmana walked off to the side of the road and just with a Shaligram Shila around his neck, he evacuated. So the king said, arrest him. Had him arrested. Had him brought to the court and said, What type of Brahmana are you? You're carrying a Shaligam Shila. And then you can do such a thing. You don't know that's Narayan? It's God? How can you, you know, go to the bathroom, you know, wearing a Shaligam Shila? You're not a Brahmana. What do you have to say for yourself? You know, you're just shaking. So he said that at sundown, You'll be beheaded. If a Brahmins like you commit offense to Narayan in our kingdom, then our whole kingdom will be uh, destroyed by the offense. So you're not a Brahmana, therefore for committing this offense you should give your life. The Brahmana was completely petrified. He could have hung it up or something. Why? How can you just wear it? And then uh, Gopal said, but... Uh, your Majesty, he's just a carrier of the Lord. He's just a carrier of the Shaligarshi. I mean, the king had just sentenced him to death. Suddenly, Gopal and he's just a carrier, you know, so he just, you know. There wasn't the time, you know, one of Gopal's jokes or something. <laughs> what do you mean, Gopal? What do you mean he's just a carrier? Don't, you know, don't butt in now. This is a serious business. No, no, but uh, your majesty, he's just a carrier. So, you know, the king, you know, he <coughs> knew that something was up. He says, what do you mean? What do you mean he was just a carrier? He was carrying the Taligam Sheila while he passed through. Could there be a greater offense? But your majesty, he was just a carrier. Explain yourself. What do you mean he's just a carrier? And he said, well, my lord... Your horse was carrying you. <laughs> when your horse has 
school. Did you take a bath? <laughs> Did you feel contaminated? Release him. <laughs> Never do this again. Go, Paul. You did it again. <laughs> so, I gave a different angle at, you know, Vedic culture, that there were, you know, very personal relations and very personal things, and, you know. Of course, these are not the pure devotees. I mean, these are, you know, not pure devotees. So these are not the great... These are just... This is a king in about 500 years ago, 400 years ago. Just uh, after, the, I think, after the time of uh, Lord Chaitanya, before the British came, during the Mughal period. But even then, just only three, about 300 years ago, Vedic culture was so strong. And these are the basic ones that we heard from Paul I, I became so curious that actually I bought the book. <laughs> I can go on to Iran. Prabhupada just gave us a sentence just to show that, that there was another aspect, you know, of India, a little lighter side, but that even the lighter side, that it had a had its uh, root in the Vedic culture. And similarly, that uh, he told us some of the unusual way that, you know, how, like, you could see how Vedic culture, how 5,000 years ago there was complete total Vedic culture, and how over the time, you know, gradually got watered down, watered down, and how, how it kind of intermingled with Maya. As time went on, it came with, you know, unusual combinations. Some of them which are completely, totally uh, mind-boggling probably to point out and show that how you know how you can still see certain remnants of the Vedic culture trained how to pick out what was what where you could see the roots in the Vedic uh, culture in the humor or in the lifestyle or in the history of that modern and near modern recent time. Robert slapped his knee, was laughing and he told the joke. He didn't know whether to laugh or cry. <laughs> A lot of these uh, Gopal Bhar stories, you know, the punchline is kind of, it's more like a, a situation which is very cryptic, very humorous, and then surprise ending. And then the surprise ending is humorous. Any questions? It's too late for us to launch that. When you said No, not... Yeah, well, it's like in the family tree. Right. Cousin brother. Well, it was obviously political. 
It wasn't it was it was also vegan or I mean that's why in Lord Caitanya's time this wasn't there. This was the whole thing that for a long time we kind of kept clear from the other mission that's warmed up a lot now. I mean Prabhupada brought us closer together but it still looks, you know, formal because um <coughs> Prabhupada uh, you know, was actually uh Someone who may have taken sannyas later, but he was very close to Bhakti Siddhanta Sari Thakur and how about Bhakti Siddhanta Sari Thakur often, you know, some occasion praised Prabhupada and gave him very specific private instructions. But uh, apparently uh, his success uh, in preaching all over the world the response it should have brought was complete cooperation in everything in Prabhupada comments on this fact in his Chaitanya Charamita purport, especially in the uh, Madhya one. I guess the Madhya one. Going to Ram Kelly, is that Madhya one? Madhya 1. Uh, maybe it's, uh, well, maybe it's Madhya 2. Well, Lord Chaitanya meets Rupa Goswami in Ramkeli. He's going to Vrindavan. That's what I had the first time in Madhya 1. Look over. Birth after birth, you have been my eternal servants. I am sure that Krishna will deliver you very soon. The Lord then placed his two hands in the heads of both of them. And in return, they immediately placed the lotus feet of the Lord on their heads. After this, the Lord embraced both of them and requested all of the devotees present to be merciful upon them and deliver them. When all of the devotees saw the mercy of the Lord upon the two brothers, they were very gladdened and they began to chant the holy name of the Lord, Hari Hari. Purport. Shunaratam Das Thakur says, Sariya Vaishnava Seva Nishtar Paya Unless one serves a Vaishnava, he cannot be delivered. The spiritual master initiates a disciple to deliver him, and if a disciple executes the order of the spiritual master and does not offend other Vaishnavas, his path is clear. Consequently, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu requested all the Vaishnavas present to show mercy toward the two brothers, Rupa and Sanatana, who had just been initiated by the Lord. When a Vaishnava sees that another Vaishnava is a recipient of the Lord's mercy, he becomes very happy. Vaishnavas are not envious. If a Vaishnava by the mercy of the Lord is empowered by him to distribute the Lord's holy name all over the world, other Vaishnavas become very joyful. That is, if they are truly Vaishnavas. One who is envious of the success of a Vaishnava is certainly not a Vaishnava himself but an ordinary mundane man. Envy and jealousy are manifested by mundane people, not by Vaishnavas. Why should a Vaishnava be envious of another Vaishnava who is successful in spreading the holy name of the Lord? An actual Vaishnava is very pleased to accept another Vaishnava who is bestowing the Lord's mercy. A mundane person addressed to a Vaishnava should not be respected, but rejected. This is enjoined in the Shastras, Upeksha. 
The word upeksha means neglect. One should neglect an envious person. A preacher's duty is to love the Supreme Personality of Godhead, make friendships with the Vaishnavas, show mercy to the innocent, and reject and neglect those who are envious or jealous. There are many jealous people in the dress of Vaishnavas in this Krishna consciousness movement, and they should be completely neglected. There is no need to serve a jealous person who is in the dress of a Vaishnava. When Narottam Dharadhyad make friendships with the Vaishnavas, show mercy to the innocent, and reject or neglect those who are envious or jealous. There are many jealous people in the dress of Vaishnavas in this Krishna consciousness movement, and they should be completely neglected. There is no need to serve a jealous person who is in the dress of a Vaishnava. When Narottam Das Thakur says, Tariya Vaishnava Seva Nistar Payatikeva, he is indicating an actual Vaishnava, not an envious or jealous person in the dress of a Vaishnava. So when Prabhupada wrote these purports, it was not only for the Iskand Krishna conscious movement, but for the other Krishna conscious movement. Well, I mean, the other followers of work are telling me that you don't have to kindly forgive our rudeness in repeating those Gopal Bar stories publicly, more for the sake of history. anyone felt embarrassed, then they should cover their ears. <laughs> 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 